Hi everyone, this is Abby Fanlow. I'm a PhD candidate in political science at Stanford University, focusing on international relations. And when the Russian invasion of Ukraine broke out, I started sending voice notes to friends, answering their questions, and it grew an interest, so I decided to start a podcast. The opinions expressed in this podcast are my own. Now let's get started. So today on the podcast, I'm going to answer the following question. Is Russia winning the war in Ukraine? Now, it's been a month since Russia invaded Ukraine, so I thought it would be a good opportunity to take stock of sort of how the Russian military operation is progressing. And the title of the podcast is a bit clickbaity because I'm not going to say definitively if Russia is winning or not, but I am going to give you a sense of where Russian military operations stand, and more importantly, whether, given how they stand, Putin is getting closer to achieving his political goals. And that political part is really important. Um, one of the most famous military theorists, Karl von Clausewitz, said, war is just politics by other means. Um, and thus, it's just so important when you try to think about whether a particular side is moving towards victory in a conflict um, to think about whether the military operations as they stand are helping that side move closer towards achieving their political goals. So to understand the current status of Russian military operations in Ukraine and sort of whether the status of those operations is helping Putin achieve his political goals, I think it's useful to think about the conflict as progressing along three major fronts. Um, and what a front means is basically just an area of confrontation between enemy forces. Now, the three major fronts I'm going to talk about have been identified by Russian military analysts and other people watching the conflict. I didn't just pull them out of thin air. So the first major front I'm going to talk about is around the capital city of Kyiv. Now, Russian military operations around Kyiv appear to be stalled. Russian forces have not entered Kyiv in a major way. Russian air force has not gained air superiority over the city. Um, and Russian supply lines are really stalled as they try to make their way towards the capital. So overall, it seems like Russian military operations are at a stalemate around the capital city of Kyiv. And analysts sort of suspect that this is occurring for a few reasons. One is logistical. Um, Russians have been trying to push a relatively large amount of supplies and manpower through a relatively small sort of roadway or system of roadways. They're trying to move a ton of supplies and soldiers down from Belarus into the capital region. Um, but when you force a lot of things through a relatively small passageway, things slow down. And things slowing down are not only bad for sort of quickly achieving military goals, but they also make your forces a target for the rival. So Ukrainian forces have exploited the fact that Russian convoys are stalled and have launched um, anti-tank weapons such as javelin missiles um, against these forces, which has further slowed down the Russian advance. And I've covered that in a previous episode. Now, um, the other major reason why Russian military operations are stalled around Kyiv is because it's pretty likely that Ukraine is sort of putting its best forces towards the defense of the capital. It makes sense, right? If you're a country, you're going to have your most skillful units stationed around the capital, protecting the capital and the government, especially in a conflict like this. Um, and there's further sort of evidence that Ukrainian forces are doing really well around the capital city. For example, they have prevented the Russian Air Force from gaining air superiority by sort of 
really tactfully using um, air defense systems. And this is really important because if Russia was able to gain air superiority over Kyiv, they could launch bombardment of the city completely unopposed, which could um, put Kyiv in a really dangerous situation. Now, to sum up, Russian military operations around Kyiv are stalled, and politically, this isn't good for Putin. The reason that this isn't good is because um, if you assume that one of Putin's goals is to overthrow the Ukrainian government, taking Kyiv is essential. So as long as those military operations are stalled, one of Putin's major political goals is not closer to being achieved. The second major front is in the south of Ukraine, sort of north of the Crimean Peninsula and a little bit west of there, around a city called Mykolaiv. And there it also looks like Russian military operations have stalled. Um, it looks like some Ukrainian counteroffensives are working and sort of pushing back against Russian forces there, but more broadly it just looks like the front is sort of not moving very much in recent um, days. And analysts sort of think that this is because Russia just didn't commit enough forces to consolidate territorial gains in the area, um, and to actually take Mykolaiv, it would have needed to commit a lot more to that fight. Now, this is important because the reason that it's useful for Russia to take Mykolaiv is because they want to continue moving west. So they want to take additional territory in southwest Ukraine. And in particular, what they likely want to take is the city of Odessa, which is known as Ukraine's southern capital. It's a major port in the Black Sea, um, and it sort of has a bunch of industrial capacity that's very useful for the Ukrainian economy. And so if Russia takes Odessa, there are both like sort of logistics consequences for Ukraine and strategic consequences for Ukraine. Um, but also it's important because um, the further that Russia moves sort of towards southwest Ukraine, um, the closer they get to sort of taking over most of Ukraine's coastline. And sort of having a coastline is obviously very important for a country economically, um, but also strategically. Lastly, sort of the closer that Russian forces move towards the sort of um, port of Odessa and the more territory that Russian forces take in southwest Ukraine, the closer they get to Moldova. Um, and, you know, people have speculated that perhaps Russia is interested in attacking Moldova next. And so the more that they stall in this sort of southern front, the harder it gets to do that. Now, I will say I don't think that the stalling of military operations in the south are as sort of damaging to Putin's political goals as they are around Kyiv. Now, the third major front is in the east of Ukraine in a region called the Donbass. And the Donbass includes the eastern breakaway republics of Donetsk and Luhansk. And it also includes the city of Mariupol, which you've heard about recently because it's been under a brutal siege by Russian forces. Now, it's on this front that it appears Russian military operations are having the most success. Um, it seems like Russian forces are moving towards a potential encirclement of Ukrainian forces that have been stationed in the east fighting the separatists for the past several years. And if Russia su successfully encircles those Ukrainian forces, that would be really dangerous for those forces and they, they would likely surrender or fight until they were destroyed. Um, being encircled in battle is, is really precarious. Um, now, 
if Putin's forces are able to successfully encircle the Ukrainian forces there and consolidate control over additional areas of the Donbass, um, that would be politically useful because it could give him additional leverage in negotiations in trying to extract a concession from the Ukrainian government of recognition of Russian control over those eastern areas of Ukraine. Now, I have no idea if the Ukrainian government would ever entertain such a concession regardless of Russian military advances in the area. Um, you know, Russia just tried to force the surrender of Mariupol and Ukraine um, refused to surrender it despite brutal siege by Russian forces. So there are some indications that, you know, really any sort of territorial concessions in the East are not on the table for the Ukrainian government. However, the more success that Russia has in that region in consolidating control, um, the more leverage it's going to have in negotiations over that territory. So now that I've talked about the status of Russian military operations, I want to highlight a few important caveats or things to keep in mind. The first is that the Ukrainian government has done an amazing job getting their perspective out there and sort of flooding the information space about this conflict. And we have a lot more information from Ukraine than we have from Russia. Um, for example, you know, Ukrainian forces are posting on social media all the time. The Ukrainian president is speaking to Congress. He's speaking to the EU. But also lots of Ukrainian officials are giving interviews on TV. They're posting on social media. They're really sharing their side. Um, and this means that our understanding of how things are progressing on the battlefield is being seen through a Ukrainian lens. And we just have to keep that in mind because it could mean that things are going a little bit better for Russia than we think they are. On the other hand, it's possible that things are actually going really poorly for Russia, um, but Putin actually doesn't know that. In authoritarian regimes, information flows can be really damaged because people can be afraid that they will die or be expelled from the government if they share unfavorable information. And this is important because if Putin thinks he's doing better than he actually is, and Zelensky sort of thinks that the Ukrainians are doing pretty well, then um, both sides are going to think that they're winning. And if both sides think they're winning, there's this sort of mutual optimism that can actually prolong a conflict because neither side is really fully aware of where they stand. And this can really hinder their willingness to come to a mutually acceptable agreement. The last caveat I want to mention is that um, I didn't talk a lot about Russian losses in the form of dead soldiers or damage to Russian military equipment, and that is because I do not think there's a lot of easily accessible, accurate information about that out there right now, even though it's certainly important to consider um, when we talk about sort of how Russia's military is doing. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe or follow on whatever app you are listening on. And don't forget to send me your questions at fopo.podcast at gmail.com. And I'll look forward to answering them in a future episode.